For those who are celebrating their first or yet another Mother's Day without their mom, we pray. For those who have lost children, we pray. For those who long to be mothers, we pray. For those who have miscarried, we pray. For the foster moms who take care of other mothers' children and the pain that comes with that, we pray. For adoptive moms who struggle with the adoptions, we pray. For those who are trying to adopt, we pray. For those who have estranged relationships with their moms or their children, we pray. For those who long to forgive their mothers or to be forgiven, we pray. And for those who still carry the weight from giving up their children, we pray. Okay, just one second. Okay, can you hear me? Okay. So we are in the series on sleepless nights, and I know that many of these pains described above contribute to sleepless nights. Know that we acknowledge and we stand with you in these challenges as your church family. If you need prayer for any of these, the green card is a good place, but we will also be offering prayer at the end of the service for anyone that needs it. So I was concerned about a church member who was grieving this day, and I asked her if she was coming. And her response was too beautiful not to share. She said, I am a firm believer that the church is where the wounded and the battle-scarred go for help and healing, not the ones that have it all together. She said, so I'm going to come, and I'm going to continue to limp my way through those doors. I'm going to let God's presence seep into my wounds and bind me up. And so I pray that for all of you today, that God's presence would seep into all of you, and those who need binding, that you would receive that today. So today's talk is on the fear of the future. I read a Facebook post the other day where a mom was mentioning how anxious she was about a class trip her son was on. And someone's first comment to her in the comment section was, you're a mom, anxiety comes with the territory. And maybe it struck me because I was preparing for this message, but I noted what a sad reality if anxiety is seen as our norm, plaguing us with when we think about the what ifs with our kids or the what ifs about our future. I did some informal surveys of moms leading up to this, um, thinking that people's responses would be more like school shootings or kids getting injured or kids getting bullied. But what I found that moms were more fearful of the way they are shaping their kids' character and the influence of the world on their kids' character than the actual fears about danger. Women said things like, I worry my kid does not have enough empathy for others. I worry that I'm not pushing my kids enough and producing lazy children. I'm worried that my kid is going to be the bully. For me, if I were to name a fear that has bullied its way into my life, it has to do with how I am raising my youngest daughter, who is adopted. So I feel like I always talk about Bria from stage, but I believe that our biggest challenges in life are also our best teachers. And connecting and bonding with my daughter has been a challenge, but more so than that, she has been an overwhelming blessing and teacher. She has taught me that I am not perfect. She has taught me that the Father is the one that I have to rely on for us to be okay. She has taught me grace and patience and forgiveness, and she is only five. 
So I look forward to years and years of teaching and refining by the Father as I become the mom he has designed me to be and that he chose me to be. My fear about her future is related to her race. I ask that you would give me grace as I talk about this because I don't want to say the wrong thing or trigger anyone, but I'm also trying to be honest about my fear for her future and the way that I'm processing it. My daughter has struggled much earlier than I thought she would in regards to her skin color. Being the only black member of our family and a minority in our neighborhood and school, I have not given her enough mirrors of beautiful black children and parents, and I'm trying to correct that now. Um, a few months ago, I received a call from the teacher about her making some really sad and disparaging comments about her skin. I could not stop crying and beating myself up. I allowed my thoughts to run wild about all the ways I'm screwing her up. And I thought about how I should know better. I'm a therapist and all. So I went to the father and I wept. I let out all my fears, fears that, I would, that she would struggle with self-esteem, struggle with a sense of belonging and identity, and ultimately my fear that one day she would reject me as her mom. These thoughts intensified and I know why. I can't talk about fears about the future without talking about the enemy. There is someone who wants to rob us of joy and peace in parenting and in life. And I know he positions himself right there in our guilt and our fears, and he adds fuel to the fire of my already ablaze fire of fear. So if we look at Genesis and the first appearance of the enemy, we see his deceitful ways. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God provided all the food and beauty they needed, but then the enemy approached. Now the serpent was more crafty than the, any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the first thing the enemy did was to sway Eve's trust with a lie. She said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? God had only said one tree, but he wanted Eve to believe that God was a withholding God. He lied to her saying God didn't want her to have good things. But God knew that eating this fruit would cause them to stop trusting him. The terrible lie they believed that day was that God doesn't love me enough. I also believe the terrible lie that God started in the garden was that you can't trust him either. I believe the enemy doesn't want me to trust God with my kids and their future. He tries to whisper or shout things about all the ways I'm screwing them up or all the dangers that exist. The day after the Parkland shooting in Florida, I let my kids out the door saying, I love you, have a great day at school, and I immediately sensed school is not safe, you might not see them again. It was such an extreme thought. I knew it was from the one who wants to plague me with fears. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I have a way to combat these fears and experience life in a fuller way. 
It's found in Romans 12:2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as a therapist, I teach cognitive behavioral therapy. The idea is that our thoughts affect how we feel, which affects how we act or what we do. So an example, so everything starts with our thoughts. So an example of this is, let's say I wake up and I say, oh great, another day of making lunches, running errands, and then I have to go to work on this beautiful day. I don't even get to enjoy it, right? So this makes me feel what? Crabby, irritated, and then I wake up my kids, and I'm like, come on, let's go, let's get up, we gotta get to school, hurry up, let's go, right? And so my actions are determined by a lot of where my thoughts were. But if my thoughts were instead, oh, the sun, I'm so glad it's up, I'll get to drive to work with my windows down and look out at the sunshine instead of a gray day, right? I'm not feeling super excited about going to work, or hope, but I'm feeling more hopeful. And so my actions towards my kids are more kind and patient. So I think the verse in Romans is directly related to that. So the patterns of our world cause stress and anxiety, but we can change that when we renew our minds. I do this exercise in therapy, and with one client, we took, she was, had severe like, um, stage fright when she would give presentations in class. So we took this, we took our anxious thoughts about school speeches and we wrote them out. And so on one side, she had one thought, and then we replaced it with a truth. So her one thought was, people might laugh at me. Her replacement thought was, people have never laughed at me before. Another thought was, people won't listen. And the th replacement thought is, I know the people I care about and that care about me will listen, and that's who I should care about. Then she thought, they're talking about me. The reality is, they're probably talking about someone else. If I mess up, that's all they'll remember. And the truth is, if I mess up, they won't care, and they'll forget about it. Most people are nervous at giving speeches. I understand when other people mess up. And the last one was, no one cares what I have to say, so why bother saying it? And then her thought was, there's probably at least one thing that I will talk about that they will find interesting. And so the exercise was for her to take that side, the replacement thoughts, and review them before she went in and did speeches. And of course, her anxiety went way down. So I decided I'm going to practice this replacement thought exercise about my daughter as I prepped for this talk. Knowing that it's not a therapy tool that I'm using, but really following the biblical teachings in Romans that says I am to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So here are my four thoughts about my daughter that often have footholds in my brain. She will reject us. She will think of herself as less. She will seek love in harmful ways because she won't love herself, and she won't be all that she could be because I don't do enough or I'm not the right mom for her. And sometimes the thought is even I'm not the right color mom for her. So listening is my hardest spiritual discipline. But I wanted this, these to be his thoughts and not mine. So I asked God to give me replacement thoughts. Give me your truth, Father. And in my listening and in the quiet, this is what he told me. I'm not going to get through this. My love is sufficient for her. She is my beloved. I will tell her always. I made her. I will always be near to her. I delight in her. Now, I had expected practical responses. I had expected the truth that he would give me would be something like, you need to continue to tell her about her identity and me, or he would say, she's not going to reject you, or show her more racial mirrors, etc. Like, I had expected practical stuff. But instead, the father revealed his heart for her, and they were more beautiful than any replacement thought that I could have come with on my own. 
So what if daily when my fears come about my daughter and her future, what if I respond with those thoughts? That his love is sufficient for her, that he delights in her and that he is near to her. What would that do for my fears? And what would that do if his words would come and speak to your fears? And what if we chose to memorize verses that counter our fears so that we can beat down the enemy's voice with our father's truths? So this is the verse that he brought to mind that I'm now claiming for my daughter. Psalm 46, 5. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. And so here's some others to counter fears. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God, he is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He quiets you with his love and he rejoices over you with singing. In Psalm 94, it says, when my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. And in Isaiah 43.2, this is one you read over and over and over until your fears subside. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God's speaking to me with that verse for her, those calming thoughts. Those are little miracles because God who created the world is taking the time to speak to my heart and to calm me. God has also given me glimpses of of encouragement since that time. When my daughter learned about Martin Luther King and the civil rights fight, she got inspired and she saw something empowering in the fight. She spoke over her skin as something worth fighting for. And to lighten this talk, I thought I'd let you see a short clip of her talking about the injustices of segregated bus seating as she learned about them. Martin Luther King helped people like us and like he helped people to like he told people to be that's not right and then the people the black people like me the brown skin people they called people black but the black people had to sit in the back and he's that's not fair he think you can sit however we wherever you want So I feel like God gave me that moment too of where she like, she has a Martin Luther King poster in her bedroom now. Like she was obsessed with him for so long. I have other video clips of her doing some teachings. So if any of you guys need to be schooled in Martin Luther King's teachings. Um, But for me, I was like, yeah, she's talking about like empowerment. And so even those moments, I'm like, that is the Lord like saying like, I got this, right? So are we letting anxiety and fear about our kids and their future spoil and rob us of peace that allow us to enjoy their childhood and our parenting? Are you, who aren't parents, letting fear about your future with your job or your marriage or your singleness or your addiction or your fill-in-the-blank rob you of peace and joy that we desperately want and is available? Now, will horrible things still happen? Yep. Will school shootings continue to happen? Yep. Will kids get hurt and even pass away? Yep. We live in a broken, broken world where pain and horrible things do happen. But allowing the fear of those possibilities to dominate in our mind, it allows the evil one to win, to steal our days and our future, and does not give God the opportunity to transform our fears. Here's one of my favorite gospel stories um, to illustrate this. It's about Jesus walking on water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and immediately cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat and the winds died down, there were those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So I've heard it preached many times that when Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and lets his fears dominate, that's when he begins to sink. That's us, of course. We take our eyes off him and the world is a scarier place. But what I felt God wanting to share through this today was the boat was also being buffeted by waves. So the boat was already a really scary place. And I believe that's our world. We are being buffeted by waves all the time. But there's an option, and it's still a scary option, because the boat provides some sense of security. But it's a place where I'm only trusting and relying on myself. So the other option is to step out and move in the direction of Jesus when we are fearful or being tossed about. And we stretch out our arm to him when he says, come. And we may have to immediately cry out, like Peter did, Lord, save me. But the word says, immediately Jesus reached out and caught him. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and in the future. So today's Jesus is the same as the Jesus on the water. He says, when you are up at night with your fears about the future, do not stay in that boat. Do not let the swamping, the waves buffeting, do not stay there. Take a step with towards me and pray. If your only prayer can be, Lord, save me, pray that again and again. And he will immediately reach for you. And in his grasp is strength and peace and comfort. We don't have to hold the fears on our own. He wants to take them upon himself. The same way that we do when our kids or our friends or our partners come to us scared and anxious. We want to take that from them and help restore them back to, pe- back to peace and provide needed comfort. So Molly is my nine-year-old. She sometimes gets night terrors. She's basically asleep but seems awake, and she's very scared, and I can't reach her. I'm always saying to her, I'm here, Molly, you're safe. Nothing is going to happen to you. But when she's in the grips of the terror, nothing soothes her. And I feel helpless, and I also feel a ton of love for her. And I imagine that is what God feels. He sees us in our terrors, our fears, crying out and wanting and needing something, and he's trying to offer it, like I was trying to offer it to Molly. But because we are not positioned towards him or seeking him, we can't accept that help that he offers. Like I long to calm and comfort Molly, Jesus longs to calm and comfort you. I promise you that. In another gospel story, when Jesus was on the boat when the storm came and the disciples were fearful, and after he calmed the storm, the children's storybook Bible, which I love, says it well. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends and said, Why are you scared, he asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? 
So my wind-torn friends out here, don't forget who he is. Don't believe your fears instead of him. And to summarize, here are the ways that we can counter our fears of the future. Renewing of your mind. Check your thoughts. Spend time listening to the Father and replace those thoughts with God's truths or promises or scripture. I've included some scripture and some thought bubbles in your bulletin. At the end, you'll have a moment to see if God has a new thought or a truth to, re- to put in one of the thought bubbles um, to replace some of your fears with his truths. You can pick a scripture to meditate on. You can Google verses about calm. You can pick one on the back, whatever. I also want you to recognize, recognize that the boat isn't a place you want to stay as it's being tossed by waves. Choose to step out to the boat and reach for Jesus who is always reaching for us and just say, Lord, save me. I'll close by sharing how, after I got that call from Bria, making those disparaging comments about her beautiful skin, I was out on that water, but man, I was sinking. And I was saying, Lord, save me, and I know that Jesus grabbed me. I didn't have an event, our babysitter for an event that we had on Saturday, the day after the call from the school. And when my young regular sitter said she could not sit, but she was with a friend who could sit. So I had never met this girl, but I was desperate, so I said yes. Well, the next night, the doorbell rings, and standing on my porch is a beautiful black teenage girl. Now, please understand, I don't think that having babysitters who are black are going to solve or have such an influence over my daughter and how she feels about herself. But I felt that in that moment, God was saying, you are carrying something so heavy, and I need you to know that I can take that burden from you and do the heavy lifting. The babysitter was a simple and beautiful reminder that I was not alone in shaping my daughter and forming her identity. And while you may not think this is related or is just a coincidence, for me, it directly calmed my heart, and I felt God's nearness in that moment when I was overwhelmed with the pressure of trying to do better and overcome with a fear for her future. Please do not forget who he is and what he offers in your fear and in your sleepless nights. So I'm gonna let you take a minute to see if God wants to speak to any of your fears. Um, so you can take out that the insert in the bulletin and see if there's anything that you could write as a replacement truth. And after a minute or so, you'll get to see a video from Sharon Buttry, who's gonna share some of her life experiences on this topic as well. Thank you.